See how universal basic income will eliminate poverty now on this episode of Planetary Makeover. At least uh, three Nobel Prize winning economists <laughs> have been in favor of UBI. So, so it's a pretty long list. Uh, there were many proponents, uh, Martin Luther King, Pro Pope Francis, Stephen Hawking, Andrew Young as Treasury Secretaries, James Baker and George Schultz, Sam Walton, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Elon Omar. The question quickly becomes not so much how can we afford UBI, but how can we afford not to implement UBI? Hello, I'm your host, David Minot II, and I invite you today to put on your skeptic hat because we're about to stir up a lively wind that may well have that hat fly off your head to reveal the complete viability of everyone having what they need. It's called universal basic income, or UBI for short. So let's look at the skeptical point of view first that says such a plan would discourage work uh, and is just an unachievable utopian dream. It's important to remember that skepticism is really just an extension of the scientific method whereby we delve deeply into any given subject in order to discover the interconnectedness, if I can say that, of everyone and everything. And with that, let me introduce Mitch Williams, an inspirational speaker, performer, author, and spiritual pioneer who began in a traditional religious background and dared to study the ageless wisdom teaching that comes to us from the Himalayas and underlies all the religions and which roundly contradicts the notion that we are not our brother's keeper and that his suffering does not impact our own lives because it does, knowingly or not. And Mitch is going to break down for us the need in today's world for universal basic income, why it works, its amazing effectiveness, and the dividends it will pay to all of our culture once enacted. Welcome, Mitch. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here today, and I'm looking forward to our conversation about uh, UBI. Thank you, and we're we're excited that you're here for the first time and hope to have you back again. Now, Mitch is going to talk to us about the evolution and maturation of our current economic system, which is sort of a capitalism, every man for himself uh, type of deal, to the concept of universal basic income where the needs of all are addressed and respected regardless of class or material background. It's not just utopian, it's practical. And at this point, it's required. Well, Mitch, we're fortunate to have you as a guest on the show. Tell us how we can most effectively use that commonality to lift all boats, as the metaphor goes, but first, could you start by giving us a definition of universal basic income? Sure. Well, uh, universal basic income is something that uh, the idea has been around for a very long time. In fact, uh, it goes back at least as far as the 1600s. People began talking about some form of this type of thing. Um, but it, it's essentially uh, an unconditional cash um, payout that goes to all members of a, of a society. 
Uh, it's unconditional in that there are no requirements uh, to, to receive it. Uh, everybody gets it the same. Um, in some cases, it's everyone over the age of 18. Uh, in some cases, it's uh, broken down in different ways. Uh, it's a basic income in the, in the sense that it, it meets the basic requirements. Um, some, some programs begin with uh, a payment that is uh, perhaps at or a little above the poverty level, but it's basically uh, set up so that it is, is geared to meet the, the basic needs that someone has. And the income part is that it's just a cash payment that uh, doesn't have any, any particular conditions set upon it. The 1600s, that's astounding. I had no idea that it had gone back that far, which is interesting because we also talk about on this show the age of Aquarius. And, um, and that would be a subject for another show, but that those energies just started incoming in that century. So taking us back to this century, why do we need uh, UBI and what societal issues does it address? Well, obviously, poverty is the first and most prominent issue that uh, we're talking about here. Um, but uh, right now, we have one of the greatest uh, wealth inequality states that we've had uh, historically, you know, at least since the turn of the uh, uh, 19th into the 20th century. And tied to wealth inequality, when you have extremes of wealth and poverty, uh, there are a whole slew of other social issues that are, that are tied directly to that. Things like higher crime rates, um, obesity, uh, health, bad, really uh, dire health outcomes, um, higher teen pregnancies, um, incarceration rates. Any society or any location, any, any geographical or political uh, location, if you will, that has these extremes of wealth inequality also tends to have extremes of these types of problems. And the list goes on and on and on. It's, it's uh, pretty amazing uh, how, how many problems are tied to this wealth inequality. So alleviating poverty is an important uh, element to, to addressing all of these issues. Once you begin to lift people out of that uh, poverty level, uh, a lot of these issues begin to resolve themselves. And uh, having a, a basic income floor below which people cannot fall is one way to ensure that uh, we don't have uh, major uh, elements of our society uh, drifting into poverty and, and having all of these problems. If only everyone was aware of how many issues universal basic income would, would address, think more people would enthusiastically embrace it. Um, but given the resistance today, I'm wondering, is UBI realistic in our current economic social climate? Well, um, there's a lot of debate on that topic, actually. Uh, you know, some people say it can never be economically viable. Some people say it's not uh, politically viable. Um, some people say that, uh, that it will discourage uh, people's tendency to want to work, but the evidence actually is pretty, pretty strong in the opposite direction than all of those cases. And uh, perhaps we can maybe look at each of those issues one by one. Would that be a good idea? 
Okay. Well, first is the, uh, you know, the, the first, uh, objection that usually comes up to UBI is the idea that it will dissuade people from working, uh, that, you know, by giving them this cash payout so that they can meet their basic needs, that uh, in employment uh, rates will drop. But we have a lot of different studies uh, doing UBI pilot programs, and the evidence is pretty overwhelming that that is actually not the case. Uh, in pretty much every single instance where they have experimented with uh, with a basic income, uh, the employment levels have either remained the same or in some cases even increased. Uh, one of the uh, pilot programs over the past few years in, in, that took place in Stockton, California, uh, during the pandemic, the, the participants of the program increased their employment rate by about 12%. Uh, and about 12% more than the than the uh, the control group, which uh, remained about the same. And this was at the height of the pandemic. So, you know, employment was a big issue. So these rates generally increase. There are only two elements of a society where uh, employment rates drop. And those are with new mothers who elect to spend more time at home with their, with their uh, new child, their baby. And also uh, people who elect to stay in school longer. And under uh, UBI programs, uh, school attendance and graduation rates all go up for people in the programs. So all of these things are things to be addressed uh, that uh, UBI can kind of tackle. And uh, it, it really doesn't affect employment in, in a negative way. It often, like I said, has a positive effect. In fact, Oftentimes, UBI allows people to finish their education and get better employment. It also allows them the, the, the leeway, the freedom uh, to, to take risks and to begin entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. And so it actually is a driver of the economy. Um, I just heard just earlier today, I heard some statistics about uh, from a group called uh, Give Directly. Uh, they're a group that has... Uh, conducted uh, UBI pilot programs in different uh, countries throughout the world. And uh, pretty much without exception, there is a one to 2.6 return rate. So for every dollar invested in a UBI program in the local economy, it delivers $2.6 for every single dollar that's spent. So it's pretty, pretty impressive. Mitch, is universal basic income realistic in our current social economic climate? And what are the main objections to implementing universal basic income? And how would you address those? Uh, well, uh, th those are a couple questions, and uh, let me try to address them one at a time. Uh, but uh, first of all, I, I have come to believe through my research into UBI that it is uh, viable, at least potentially in our current climate. Uh, there are some hurdles that need to be overcome in order to do so. Uh, however, uh, there's actually a lot going on with UBI. Uh, there are pilot programs taking place uh, uh, across this country in various cities and uh, around the world in other countries as well. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, an idea that's, whose time is, is beginning to come, I believe. And so, uh, it's beginning more at the grassroots level. Uh, there's a, 
a national organization called Mayors for Guaranteed Income that has formed, uh, uh, made up of mayors, mayors in various cities throughout the country in the United States uh, who are either doing pilot programs currently or who are uh, trying to do so so that they can gather data and information uh, to hopefully move towards a, a, a national program. Um, the objections to UBI, uh, there are really three of them. Uh, the first is uh, the idea that uh, if you give people money, it's going to take away their incentives to want to work. Uh, the second is the economic one, you know, how can we pay for this? And the third one is political, how can we do this in the current political climate? It's not going to be political vi viable. And, and to my mind, that was the, the, the hardest one to overcome. Uh, but let me get back to that one and address the other two first. Um, first of all, the idea that people won't work uh, if, if they're given an income. Well, as I said, the studies have gone on in different pilot programs uh, beginning uh, back in the 60s, uh, they actually did a, a pretty massive one uh, of about 8,500 people uh, in seven different states across the country. And then more recently, there are a lot of uh, pilot programs in this country and elsewhere. And pretty much without exception, uh, the employment rates either stay the same or in some cases even go up a little bit. Uh, the, the recent pilot program in Stockton, California, uh, during the pandemic uh, showed that uh, in the pilot program, the people involved in the basic income program increased to their employment by about 12% as compared to the control group, which wasn't receiving the basic income. Um, in pretty much all of them, though, they, they stay level or, or go up. There are only two small groups uh, in any of these programs where the employment rates go down and those are uh, new mothers who have new babies and they elect to stay home longer with their uh, kids and um, people who elect to stay in school longer. Uh, when the programs are on, the people involved in basic income programs uh, and the, the families in them and the, the students, they uh, have a higher school attendance rates and higher graduate, gradu excuse me, graduation rates uh, for the people in the program. So, you know, these these are elements that uh, show that uh, that disincentive to work is actually not the case. And in some cases, it gives people the the freedom to take on more entrepreneurial risk. People are able to change jobs. They're able to get additional education to get a, a better job. And they're even in many cases able to begin to start their own businesses. Uh, so it actually enhances the economy. So that's the first, uh, the first objection. The second one is the uh, economic one. How can we possibly afford to give people money? Well, um, a couple things. First of all, it's already much more efficient and effective and cost-effective than our current social welfare programs. Uh, most of our social welfare programs uh, have uh, requirements that you have to meet. Uh, and so it, it actually disincentivizes people from working because if they, if they increase their employment levels, their income goes up and they're taken off the, the welfare program. Uh, UBI doesn't have that requirement. It's unconditional. That's one of the uh, elements of UBI. And so um, it doesn't drop the employment rates, but it also 
is more effective and uh, cost effective because it doesn't require the government oversight and the bureaucracy. Uh, you know, you have to have people in these other programs to make sure that people are meeting the requirements of the programs. But with UBI, that's not the case. You're basically just sending out checks to people. And so uh, it's very straightforward and simple and uh, quite cost effective. And according to some uh, research and studies and estimates, uh, the cost to society as a whole, as well as government, of poverty the effects of poverty are actually a high cost kind of a, a, a condition. And the cost of poverty to society are actually twice what it would cost to implement a UBI program at or, or slightly above the poverty level. And so uh, the question quickly becomes not so much how can we afford UBI, but how can we afford not to implement UBI? Uh, so. You know, and, and there's a lot of other evidence that uh, kind of goes along the same lines. Okay, and, and that brings up the third one, which is the political uh, objection. You know, how can we possibly get, uh, especially conservatives, to go along with this? You know, they are, they hear UBI and they uh, immediately say, well, that's socialism. You are giving people money, never works. It's never worked. You know, we can't do that. And uh, so, you know, that becomes the objection. Uh, however, historically, uh, some of the most prominent leaders uh, of, of uh, the move to implement UBI have been on the conservative side. And uh, we can dig into the history a little bit more in just a little bit, but that, that's also quite fascinating as well. Yes, I'm still blown away by the fact that uh, you told us that discussion of this first began in the 1600s, the 17th century. And it's taken all this time where we're like, what, 400 years later, and we're still debating it. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about the history of universal basic income and who have been the supporters of the policy in the past and supporters now? Sure. Um, there were writers, as I said, as at least as early as the 1700s uh, who were proposing this as, as one possible way to alleviate poverty. And they actually did some experimentation with it uh, in the late 1700s and early 1800s in uh, Britain. And uh, there were some good results, but it was dismantled because of the elites uh, feeling threatened by it and feeling that it gave workers too much power. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it was done away with. And, and the history of it was actually distorted uh, by the people who who wanted to do away with it. Um, and then it's popped up again and again in different places. Uh, and I, I'm obviously most uh, familiar with the history here in the United States, but it began to come up again in the late 1950s and early 60s and in, into the 70s. Um, there were many proponents. Uh, surprisingly, uh, Milton Friedman, who's considered one of the, the leading proponents of the 20th century of neoliberalism. <laughs> That's easy for me to say. Uh, the neoliberal approach to econo economics and capitalism, uh, the free market approach, he had a profound uh, impact on uh, the conservative approach to economics uh, and uh, really pushed our society, the Western society in that direction. 
but also Martin Luther King, uh, towards the end of his life, was someone who was a, a strong proponent of UBI, of some form of a basic income. Um, he had uh, begun to shift his focus uh, from the racial in inequality to uh, economic inequality. And uh, they had actually proposed a march on Washington to uh, demand an economic bill of rights. And one of the, the uh, demands that they had was to, to establish some type of a basic income. And uh, unfortunately, that was that March on Washington was, was scheduled for what turned out to be uh, just shortly after he was assassinated. And so obviously it didn't come to pass. Uh, but that, that story of, uh, of the, the history involving uh, the influence of Martin Luther King and Milton Friedman are, are quite interesting as well. And are there some more uh, current leaders that have expressed interest in UBI? Well, uh, some of them are pretty obvious. Uh, like I said, Martin Luther King is uh, a, a strong was a strong advocate of UBI, some type of a a, um, a basic income. Uh, currently, Pro Pope Francis is uh, a strong advocate. Stephen Hawking, in fact, in one of the uh, the last. Uh, 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 statements that he made online, he said that we're going to need a basic income in the future. Um, Andrew Young is a, a politician who ran on a platform of some type of a basic income in the last uh, presidential uh, election. Um, some others uh, include uh, the conservative treasury secretaries, James Baker and George Schultz, um, as well as uh, Sam Walton, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, and uh, a number of uh, Silicon Valley executives, uh, and also uh, at least uh, three Nobel Prize winning economists <laughs> have been in favor of UBI. So, so it's a pretty long list. Uh, one, though, who, who is really interesting, in fact, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but we, we came this close to actually having universal basic income here in the United States. And it was uh, it was because of uh, Richard Nixon. <laughs> uh, Richard Nixon was uh, was very very close to to getting a a, a bill passed, uh, putting a, a type of basic income in place. Now this was because of the influence of Martin Luther King. Uh, as I said, towards the end of, his life, end of his life, he was really pushing hard for some type of a basic income, uh, but also Milton Friedman. Uh, for those of, who are not familiar with Milton Friedman, he was uh, a, uh, a neoliberal economist, a Nobel-winning economist, who uh, many consider to be the, the father of, uh, of our, our modern uh, free market capitalism. Uh, it was his influence that had a profound influence on the, the Nixon administration, but also on the Reagan administration and on the Margaret Thatcher administration in the, in the UK and also all of the Western world. And we moved significantly to the right economically, uh, largely because of Milton Friedman's influence. What a lot of people don't know about Friedman, though, is that he was a proponent of some type of a basic income. He believed that uh, in order to have freedoms, you had to have choice, which is why uh, he believed that 
the market is is a more a more fair arbiter of choice and freedoms than a government. He believes that because a government is single, you have one government, you don't have choice. You know, you have to go along with that particular government. In the marketplace, you have choice whether to do business with this company or that company or whether to be involved at all. So uh, he believed that that was an element of freedom. But he also believed that in order to participate in the market and have those freedoms, you had to have the ability to do so. And so he believed he, he uh, suggested something that he called a negative income tax in which people below a particular uh, income level would be given cash payments. And he felt strongly also that this was much more efficient than our current social welfare fair programs. He was uh, an advocate of moving away from, the, from that kind of governmental influence. Uh, but, you know, for very different reasons, you know, we have people at, at both ends of the political spectrum who are advocating for universal basic income. In the Nixon administration, he was influenced strongly, as I said, by Martin Luther King and by Milton Friedman. And he really saw himself as the guy who was going to eliminate poverty. And he had this dream to do this. And he, he uh, mobilized forces on both sides of the political spectrum. And uh, this was uh, proposed and it was uh, shown that it was uh, uh, favorably uh, seen by about 90% of the newspapers. Uh, the, the work unions were in favor of it. The church organizations were in favor of it. It was generating tremendous support, as I said, across a political spectrum. Uh, the bill passed in the House of Representatives, and it came very close to passing in the Senate, but it got bogged down in the Senate when some of the Democrats felt that it didn't go quite far enough. And so uh, it missed passing. And then the next year, they did a slightly uh, different version of it they proposed. And again, it passed in the Senate, even, or excuse me, in the House, even more strongly. And again, got bogged down in the Senate and, and didn't go anywhere. And then, of course, when uh, Nixon was discredited in the Watergate uh, scandal, uh, we quickly forgot about all of that. <laughs> So, but uh, the point that, that all of this brings up is that uh, given the right set of circumstances, it really can be something that uh, can be supported by both progressives and conservatives. And, you know, that was one of the main objections that, uh, that I uh, thought was really impressive when I began to, to kind of look into this whole thing is that there, there really is, is a, a historical precedent and a political precedent for uh, the support of UBI across the board politically. That Martin Luther King was in favor of this doesn't surprise me given his spiritual and uh, um, evolution, um, high you know, evolution point that he'd obviously reached in his life and probably other progressive figures during that time uh, who also influenced Nixon, uh, such as the Kennedys. Um, but some of the other people you mentioned, you know, like Nixon and 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 Friedman and people in his administration, it's mind blowing, and it's also very uplifting because 
I think the audience would sense and feel the same thing I do, that just your description of this and its viability and the people that have embraced it, even if their attempts to establish it failed in the past, was something that we failed to consider. And it gives us more hope going forward that this, in fact, can be passed and soon given the momentum it has behind it and the very convincing argument that you've given it, Mitch, you've, you've sold me on it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, let me, let me jump in real, real quick there because, uh, you know, we've had some examples of it at the national level recently, you know, after the pandemic, we had uh, the, uh, the uh, cash payments that were done. And we also had the child tax credit. Uh, those are direct cash payments that were given out by the federal government, and they were highly popular. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some disagreement about the effect that those had, but uh, to my understanding, they really had a positive effect on the, uh, on the economy. And, uh, you know, even though people now are trying to tie the, uh, the new inflation rates to that, um, the evidence that I see is really quite the opposite, that it's tied to other things and that uh, the, the child tax credit, for, for one, actually lifted 40% of the children who were in poverty out of poverty. So it had an enormous impact on millions and millions of families and children across the country. Yes, the stimulus checks and the child tax credit policies express spiritual brotherhood. And which is the basis of the ageless wisdom teaching that you and I are familiar with, but probably not all our viewers and listeners. So um, I will set the stage for further discussion with some background information. Uh, since the end of the 19th century, these teachings were brought to the West by um, several different teachers from the Himalayas who have written several books about the art and science of spiritual living. And it was then we first heard the phrase, new age. Now, these laws of life, so to speak, are the truths that underlie all the great religions. And they were kept in Sanskrit in remote parts of the world until humanity was ready not only to have spiritual values, but to implement them. The four teachers who brought this information to us were Elena Blavatsky, Elena Robridge, Alice A. Bailey, and most recently, Benjamin Grimm. And all of them talked about the coming of a great spiritual world teacher by the name of Maitreya, who would come at such a time as we're in right now. And the Gautama Buddha also mentioned that thousands of years ago, that such a teacher named Maitreya would emerge at such a time as this. Now, most of the world's great religions do expect a world teacher, whether that's the Christ or the Buddha or the Messiah, the Imam Mati, or the future Buddha. And that great teacher is here now. And he comes for both religious and non-religious alike. And his name is indeed Maitreya. And he's here to implement the priorities of true brotherhood, equitable sharing of the world's resources, meaning healthcare, housing, education, adequate food and shelter, and healthcare for all. This would seem to be the perfect implementation of Maitreya's first priorities, UBI. So as we describe UBI, let's keep in mind that the world teacher could emerge soon, given the world's conditions and the world being in such a state of chaos. 
And if we don't implement UPI by then, then we will once he gets here. So Mitch, how would a spiritual life mesh with UBI? Yeah, well, uh, some of the central tenets of, of the ageless wisdom teachings are that, first of all, that we are spiritual beings having a, a physical experience, and that the purpose of that experience is to manifest more and more of our actually actual spiritual identity through our uh, phys physical, emotional, and mental uh, human personalities. So um, evolution really is about the evolution of consciousness, that what we're talking about here is, is we are souls in incarnation, and we are uh, here to help spiritualize matter, in a sense, uh, in that we are uh, as we begin to tap into more of that uh, spiritual element of our selves and of our consciousness, and it manifests more and more through our, our human personalities, uh, we are lifting uh, all of humanity to, to the ability to do so. Um, however, one of the major uh, roadblocks to more people being able to, to explore that, that higher nature uh, is that they're so caught up just with the struggle to survive. And so if we really want to move forward as uh, humanity, we need to alleviate those roadblocks for people that, uh, that have no other choice than to, to uh, spend all of their time and attention uh, just basically staying alive. And... I know you've talked about some of them in the past, but have there been many uh, current studies on the effects of universal basic income? And what were the results? Uh, yes, uh, there's a group called G Give Directly that has uh, done uh, pilot programs uh, in this country and, and several other countries, uh, beginning in Kenya, I believe it was. And uh, they've done uh, significant research into the effects that UBI has, uh, you know. And I've mentioned some of the some of the elements of uh, uh, increasing and, and helping with uh, employment rates, uh, but it also uh, increases health rates, uh, increases mental health. Um, it uh, uh, reduces teen pregnancy rates. Uh, as I said, there's a whole slew of uh, different uh, societal problems that it helps to alleviate. And uh, their research shows that every dollar that is uh, invested into UBI actually has a, a return of about uh, $2.60 for the economy as a whole. Uh, when when one person is, is uh, giving the ability to to, for example, you know, buy more uh, product for their business and they increase the level of uh, service that they're providing, well, that uh, brings more customers, customers to their business and that helps uh, to, to bring more money into the economy. And it just has a kind of a multiplicative effect on any economy where uh, UBI is implemented. And... For our conservative brethren out there, our friends and associates and colleagues um, who 
have that particular political vent. Uh, can you think of any other kind of benefits that could be derived from implementing uh, universal basic income that could convince them who are probably the um, the hardest the the hardest audience um, for individuals and for society as a whole? Some that you haven't mentioned already, or or is that enough? Should be enough. On the conservative side, uh, you know there are obviously some of the things that we've already covered. But uh, I think one of the strongest ones is uh, the fact that uh, UBI is one way to, to, you know, get the government out of our business. You know, that's a, a very strong conservative, conservative ideal. And, you know, I think there's some, some uh, uh, validity to that. And UBI really streamlines a lot of these uh, social uh, programs. Uh, and there are arguments to, that uh, UBI should not replace social programs and then other approaches where it would. Um, so, you know, that really is to be worked out, but uh, it's it's a lot more effective and, and uh, 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 efficient than, than our current programs. Uh, also, the way that it, uh, you know, uh, brings wealth into the economy. It encourages entre entrepreneurial endeavors, and it helps people to, to lift themselves up out of poverty. Uh, it actually uh, increases engagement in the economy. And, uh, you know, as, uh, as people who are uh, advocating for free market uh, capitalism, you know, that's one of the things that they talk a lot about is that, uh, you know, people need to be able to lift themselves up. They need to be able to to uh, have the freedoms and the uh, resources to, to do those kinds of things. And uh, I think those are very strong arguments on, on the conservative side for UBI. It's very good. Well, it, it increases the, the chances of this eventually, despite the opposition, passing. And speaking of that, um, where do you see universal basic income going in the future? And what part do you think it can play in our collective evolution, spiritually, socially, economically, politically? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, one of the main tenets of the Ageless Wisdom teaching is that we need to share the resources of the world more equitably so that we can get on with this business of, of evolving and, and becoming more spiritual beings and expressing more of that through our human personalities. And I think uh, UBI is possibly one approach to being able to do that more effectively. It's one way to, to help to you know, reallocate some of the resources that we need just to be able to, to live our lives freely and to pursue the, the uh, passions that we have and to, to uh, lead fulfilling lives. And um, I think, first of all, that... Uh, UBI has to come up from the grassroots level. We, it has to, like other social programs and, and in fact, other social movements, uh, it's not driven from the top down. It's driven from the bottom up. And, and the evidence that I see is that that's exactly what's happening right now. Um, as I said, uh, groups like uh, um, Mayors for a Basic Income and uh, another one called Income Movement, uh, which is a kind of a political advocacy group. And uh, uh, there's another one, um, 
trying to think of it. Uh, oh, um, Miracle Messages. They they are, are implementing uh, UBI programs for the homeless. Uh, but all of these are kind of uh, generating interest and support at the grassroots level. Uh, these pilot programs in different cities throughout our country and other places in the world uh, are generating uh, data and statistics on the successes of UBI. And then the political component uh, are where people are kind of mobilizing and uh, gaining uh, the support for it at grassroots level, and then taking it uh, nationally and internationally, and so it's there's really a groundswell of uh, of work that's being done on behalf of a basic income, uh, and it's uh, being being you know tested and it's being proven to work, and uh, I think that it's really just a matter of time before it begins to begin. Uh, to be implemented uh, more widely and more universally. And uh, there was even a, a, one of our uh, Congress people, uh, Ilhan Omar, I believe, who uh, proposed a, a bill for UBI uh, a year or two ago. So it's really beginning to grab hold. And I think that uh, it's really moving towards a place of implementation. And, you know, as, as our uh, current... Uh, economic and political and, and religious structures begin to become more and more crystallized and they begin to, to break down, we're going to have to find new ways to, to approach all of these elements of our society. And, uh, you know, where, where things have become dogmatized and polarized and uh, uh, kind of stuck in the mud, if you will, um, they are no longer viable. You know, they're no longer sustainable. And so uh, as part of the transition into a, a newer, better way of doing things, uh, I think UBI definitely has an important role to play. On this show, we frequently said people power is the new world superpower. And so I know you've, you've, you've mentioned a lot of this, but just to recap um, on a more personal level, what can you suggest that our listeners and viewers do right now to help um, push forward the agenda for universal basic income? Well, uh, you know, I would say the same thing about that as I do about any of this information, you know, whether it's ageless wisdom information or political information or anything else, uh, become more uh, educated about it. You know, if, if you think that this might have uh, something, and, and it, even even if you're just curious about it, you know, go out and read about UBI. Uh, go out and read about these kinds of issues. Uh, there's tons of information out there, and the more uh, informed we become about it, the more we can become uh, active in in uh, uh, supporting these policies. And then, you know, talk to people about it. You know, get out there and say, you know, what do you think about this? And when they bring up their objections, you say, well, I thought that too, <laughs> um, because, you know, I did. I, I did think it wasn't politically viable. But uh, the more I dug into it, uh, I became convinced that it is something that we actually could implement. Uh, and then, you know, uh, wherever possible, uh, take political action, you know, whether that's uh, writing uh, 
signing petitions or writing letters to uh, your your elected uh, officials or or whatever it is, uh, you know, become engaged in some way. Uh, if it means uh, uh, looking up one of these groups that are advocating for UBI and and you know finding out what they're doing and finding out how you can help, there are tons and tons of volunteer opportunities for for people if that is something that appeals to you. So yeah. And of course, that applies to to the work of of spreading the word of of uh, you know the ageless wisdom teachings and and uh, the priorities that uh, we have as uh, the social priorities, the economic, the political priorities that kind of jive with the with the spiritual life. Yeah, I think they all go hand in hand. That that's what strikes me. I think most about uh, your talk today. Mitch, is the universality of it. One of the other things we've talked about in many of the planetary makeover shows is the whole concept of synthesis in this age, how opposing ideas are coming together to form something new. And you've outlined how both progressives and conservatives can get on board with this because it appeals to both of their philosophies. And, and it just increases the chances that eventually somehow we're going to get this passed. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, uh, the media tends to to focus on the uh, the polarization that's going on and, and the bickering and the fighting in politics. But, uh, you know, if you really pay attention, there, there are also are politicians out there who are reaching across the aisle and they're working to, to, you know, make things happen. And uh, I think this is one of those issues that, that could begin to catch on and have some, some political um, impetus. And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think it uh, really behooves us to, to take a closer look at things like UBI and, and to see if we can't uh, move the bar forward a little bit. Mitch, I hadn't really planned on discussing this, but I found your talk so inspirational, not just emotionally exciting, but on a spiritual level and invigorating that I wanted to mention that nearly a quarter century ago, I had a serious health crisis, which we did talk about in another episode of Planetary Makeover. And I had gone on disability for a while. And while it's not the same as universal basic income, it has some of those characteristics where it supported me when I could not work. And also during that phase, I found myself not long after going on disability that I wanted to go back to school. And you mentioned uh, this sort of thing where it, it behooves people to improve their their uh, educational resume. And I went back to school and finished a degree that I didn't finish in the 80s which made me more viable in the jobs market once I graduated. And now I'm working and off of disability. And also another thing while I was on um, SSDI, I was able to do volunteer work, which I wouldn't have had time for so much if I was working full-time. And that volunteer work led to a job. So while it's not as good as universal basic income, it had some of the advantages, but what you talked about was less oversight and fewer stringent guidelines and 
those were present in the social security system. And if you didn't adhere to those, you could get bumped from the program easily. Um, so this is much more advantageous. And even with the restrictions people work with, with social security disability insurance or just SSI, they're still encouraged because I experienced it personally to want to go back to work. There was a yearning in me that uh, it could not be quelched, not only for education, but for employment. And so it just goes to prove that what you said is a fact. At least I can vouch for that and can share it with others. Yeah. You know, I think uh, one of the one of the most impressive uh, elements of UBI, uh, some type of basic income, is that uh, it alleviates a lot of the stresses. You know, if you don't know how you're going to make ends meet tomorrow, next week, um, there's a, a very powerful uh, emotional, psychological component that you're under stress, and it's really difficult to to take effective action when you're under that kind of a stress. And UBI really alleviates a lot of that, and it allows people to explore their lives a little bit. It allows them to 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 reach out and and make choices and uh, take risks. And uh, it frees us up to to be able to to take more effective action in our lives. In a, in a whole variety of areas, you know, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. So, yeah, I, I think it really is, is something that can, can make a, a real difference in people's lives. And um, another thing I'd like to add is that, yes, I see that every day in the job that I do have as a housing advocate. People that are in danger of foreclosure or eviction, it causes all kinds of physical problems, mental, emotional, it can threaten their job, families break up, and universal basic income could throw them a lifeline so they know they could still put food on the table, they could send their kids to school, they can afford their rent or their mortgage payment. And this would be a tremendous psychic and emotional and physical and mental uh, release and um, uh, it, it would, um, you know, unburden them in so many ways and free up their lives. And I see this even today on a daily basis, which makes me even more want to be a strong advocate for universal basic income. And I hope that does for our audience as well. And with that, Mitch, I want to thank you so much for enlightening us on this subject that holds so much promise for the future in so many ways. And we hope that we will see that progress and we could come back in the near future and have you talk to us more about this fascinating subject of universal basic income. Thank you so much, Mitch. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Our pleasure. And we'll see all of you again soon on another episode of Planetary Makeover. Goodbye for now. Visit us on Facebook at hashtag Planetary Makeover. This show has been a production of planetarymakeover.org. At our website, we have a link to our bi-weekly live show at 5 p.m. Mondays Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. 
At our website, we also have a link to our archives and a selection of our shows. For more background info, visit www.shareinternationalwest.org. That's shareinternational-west.org. For related books in DVDs and CDs by Benjamin Krem on the emergence of Maitreya, the world teacher, please go to share-ecart.com. That's share-ecart.com. We also invite you to watch another show that we really love, entitled, What in the World is Happening? And that show, which you don't want to miss, is produced by Share International Canada. Please view episodes of What in the World is Happening? on demand at youtube.com forward slash at message of hope weekly. It will be live streaming mostly on the second Saturday of every month at the Share International Canada Facebook page. Do stay tuned a minute because we think you'll really love one of our most popular shows about healing of our own bodies and a way to heal these terrible crises in the world that are like a cancer. You can see it at our YouTube channel. So go to YouTube slash Planetary Makeover. That's called Planetary Makeover. And do a search for Maitreya's Healing, that's M-A-I-T-R-E-Y-A, apostrophe S, Healing. So that's YouTube, Planetary Makeover, Maitreya's Healing.